message that I felt God giving to me for our church for this last Sunday in November, you know, kind of transitioning to the first Sunday in Advent, uh, coming out of a season of gratitude into a season of anticipation, <clears throat> um, felt like just the right timing for these thoughts. And as we went in church and went through them, felt like, ah, oh, this is God's timing for this moment. And uh, these are good thoughts for us to hear and to know and to reflect on. I know I was blessed by them and by our, our conversations and our dialogue. I felt like this is God's timing. And then somehow between church and getting home, the SD card that holds that video file disappeared into thin air. Not exactly sure where it went. Uh, only God knows exactly where that is. But it left me feeling on this Monday morning like these are thoughts that I really want us as a church family to think about, to ponder. For those who weren't there on Sunday, uh, for friends and family, I want to pass this along to. And even for myself to feel like I'm not ready to move past these thoughts yet. And so on this Monday morning, this is kind of like a, a workshop version of a message from yesterday. Uh, encouraging us to think about time as we head into the Christmas season we're gonna feel like probably feel like our time is more limited than ever we're more stretched than ever there's more to do and that pressure that comes with that I don't think that's from God and I don't think that's how he wants us to live through a season of anticipating his perfect timing at the Incarnation and so as I was reading through the chapter the tenth chapter of Joshua uh, looking at uh, an event that happens with him the nation of Israel and how God freezes time for them actually makes the sun stand still in the sky for an extra 24 hours I was thinking man that would be really nice this Christmas season what if we had an extra 24 hours every day to be able to get done the things we need to to work and do our jobs and then have time for family parties have time for Christmas shopping have time for decorations have time for everything that goes on in this season and then I started to realize well I think even if we had uh, two or three times the amount of time we would end up filling it and it's not so much a question of what time we have it's a question of how God is calling us to spend it and that made me think about Joshua and their extension of time and how God can give us time when he knows we need it he can kind of extend time for us but also how quickly time goes and so this passage represents the last study in Joshua that we'll be doing because from here on in the book of Joshua it talks about basically the listing of all the kings that were overthrown uh, and then it goes on to list the division of the land the inheritance among the nation of Israel and closes with a recommitment to the covenant and we've already talked about many of the kings that were overthrown so we're not gonna study name by name the list of the remaining kings and the inheritance we've talked about how God has given the Jews the land and we've already studied the covenantal um, commitments that Joshua and Israel made to God along the way so this is a good kind of transition point into an Advent sermon series and I would love for this Christmas season for us to not just think about time but to think about money to think about relationships to think about our faith uh, as a thing that we have enough of instead of something that we're running out of we might feel like we don't have enough money but I'm telling you you have enough money for the things that God is calling you to do and he has enough money for the things that he's calling you to do that he can provide and you have enough time. I have enough time for the things that God is calling us to. And if he wants us to have more time to accomplish things, he can provide more for us. In a lot of ways, we're going to see some of those in this event in history with Israel. And we're also going to see them in um, our own lives as well. So I encourage you to, to think about time as something that's not a scarce resource. 
that scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. That's a, a couple of phrases that Stephen Covey coined, I think back in, um, he wrote his book in the 90s, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talked about a scarcity mindset. And he says, there's only so much of something and it's going to run out and I better make use of what I have. And so that leads us to really an unhealthy relationship with time. But God invented time. God isn't in time, so he made it for us. So why do we have this unhealthy relationship with it so many times? Um, but abundance mindset is the opposite of scarcity mindset. There's not enough. Well, there's plenty of time to do the things that we need to do. And that's a really transformative concept if we live that way, if we believe that way, if we plan that way, if we look into the future that way. And so I'm hoping by looking at our resources of time, of money, of different things this Advent season, we can see in Scripture, we can be reminded by the Holy Spirit uh, that God is generous and God has abundance. And so uh, the question isn't will we have enough time or enough money or enough anything. Uh, the question is what is God calling us to do? And then just having complete faith and anticipation that God will provide enough to do those things uh, that he's calling us to. So I guess it begs the question, what is our relationship with time? And I thought of some unhealthy relationships with time. Uh, maybe some of these describe and define us at various points. Uh, sometimes we have a lazy relationship with time. Oh, there's plenty of time. I'll get to that thing later. I'll do that thing later. I'll visit with those people later. I'll have people over to our house later. I'll go do a Bible study or I'll read that book later. I'll spend more time with my kids later. Lazy mentality. Um, and we all can slip into this, but we know that's not a healthy relationship with time. Uh, but the opposite end of that same spectrum is the overwork, the busyness. And look how much I'm getting done. I'm so productive. You know, I got four days worth of stuff done just today. And I got this. And I have three minutes tomorrow that's scheduled for this. And we're taking pride in how much we're able to accomplish. And that doesn't feel like uh, God is more proud of us or, or more loving of us based on our productivity. It's based on our abiding in Him and our honoring and worshiping Him and our contentment. Godliness with contentment is great game. So the overwork, the, the pride in busyness, that's not a healthy relationship with time either. Um, what about the, the selfish relationship with time? My time is my own. I got my gym time. I got my time out with my friends. I got this. I have this many hours in the day. You know, there just isn't enough to go around, and I have the things that I need to do. Well, God didn't just give us our time for ourselves. He gives us time to use. And so if we slice it into a pie, a slice of that pie is for us to use, but it's not all for us. Our time should not be spent all on us. The, the main question in life is not, what do I need? It's, what is God calling us to? What part of that is for me? What part of that is for others? And this mentality of um, a selfish relationship with time is a real thing, and we can slip into it so easily. And yet the other version, that same pendulum, if we swing it to the opposite end, we can have an enabling relationship with time. We spend all our time on other people. We do everything for them all the time, and they're never grateful, and they're never appreciative. We never feel rewarded or recognized or whatever. And then so we're bitter and we're resentful and we wish we didn't have to do these things that now we're committed to. Like, there are a lot of things we should not be doing for other people that we've committed to. That's not selfish. In, in certain instances, it's a good boundary. There are certain things other people need to do for themselves. Our entire slice of our pie should not be just for others. It should be loving God, loving our neighbors, as we love ourselves. We've seen that trifecta, right? That triunity of love. And it all revolves around Christ and it all is centered in God. 
but we love God as we love others and as we love ourselves. And so it's an unhealthy relationship to time to be a servant all day, every day, because then that actually neglects Sabbath. That neglects things like just joy and rest, relaxation. So if we're going to be like God and he has those things in him, then we also need to reflect that as portions of our days and weeks and personalities. And so there's many ways that we can uh, approach time in kind of an unhealthy way. My question for us today is what does it look like for us, each one of us individually, to, be, to develop a healthy relationship with God and time and look at how God and time and us connect those three pieces. How does God relate to time? How do we relate to time? How do we relate to God? And as we look at those three points kind of coming together, I think that it could really change how we look at our week practically, how we feel about our lives, going from being overwhelmed to being uh, satisfied and content and uh, anticipating God's goodness. So this event that we're going to read about in the life of in the nation of Israel is a uh, is a great one for that. I hope it challenges us in our concept of time, our relationship to time. And I do believe that, you know, like the title for the message this week, there's plenty of time. I do believe there's plenty of time to do the things that God calls us to do. The question is, are the things we're doing things he's calling us to? And if they are, then do we just believe there's going to be plenty enough time to do those things? So let's encounter God in Scripture. I'd like to read Joshua 10, verse 1 through 15, uh, the recording of the events of this miraculous day for us. And uh, as we read Scripture, we're encountering God. This is His Word, His activity. He's a living God. This is a living Word. So these are not just words on a page. I invite you to open yourself up to hear what God may be saying to you. Uh, what words jump out as they're read, as you listen, or as you read along? Um, what is God saying to you? Who is God in relationship to you? That's the sort of thing that we get to encounter as we read scripture. And um, let's not miss that opportunity to encounter God as we read this passage together. So Joshua 10, 1 through 15. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. Now he and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hohem, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Ekron. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon, and they attacked it. So the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. 
On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is recorded in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down, uh, delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Uh, Lord, help us to see you in the reading of your word. As we read through that, what stands out to you? What do you hear? What's speaking to you? What is God saying to you? What questions arise? That's how we're meant to read Scripture. We're meant to recognize where it stands, the piece we read, within the full counsel of the Scripture. Okay, so this is God leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. Eventually, he's going to bring the kings and then the restoration, exile, restoration, Christ, the church. Like, we, we know where it sits in history. And then we try to say, well, what is God saying to us? What can we learn about God? What will God speak to us today? It's not just a history lesson. So as we read that, what did that mean to you? What stood out? What surprised you? Maybe you've read this before. What was new to you? Now, as I read it, a few things kind of were just unique. I recognize there's a king of Jerusalem, but this is before Jerusalem was overtaken by the Jewish people. So this is a king before King David takes over Jerusalem and makes it his capital city. Uh, for the nation of Israel. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the events recorded in the book of Jashar. Uh, I don't have the book of Jashar in my Bible. I don't think you do either. I don't think it's an extant piece of uh, documentation. Uh, I don't think that we have it anywhere. Um, so therefore, it's a lost book, but it seems to be, and it's mentioned one other time in Scripture, as a uh, book that records the heroic deeds uh, of people. And so I wonder, like, what other heroic deeds were recorded in the book of Jashar, and if a copy of it was ever found, it wouldn't be scripture, but uh, then we'd see Joshua and these other deeds in that book that were recorded in that day and age. So I see the history uh, here, and in this case, a lost piece of literature. Um, what else stands out to you? Um, one thing that stood out to me is that we're going to see a, a beautiful, miraculous work of God, but that would never have even happened if Joshua and the Israelites had listened to God in the first place because the only reason that they're fighting this is to protect Gibeon but the only reason they're protecting Gibeon is because they made a peace treaty with Gibeon and the only reason they made a peace treaty with Gibeon is because the Gibeonites tricked them and the only reason that trick was able to work was because Joshua and Israel said did not inquire of the Lord who would have told them hey the Gibeonites are tricking you but this just proves to me that even in our mistakes and our unintended unanticipated consequences God still moves. We get to see a miraculous work of God that only happened because of the mistakes and sins of men. This is encouraging for me. It should be encouraging for you as well. This is the grace of God at work. He doesn't say, oh, you made a mistake, so everything that happens from that point on down that road, that's on you, buddy. No. He says, we've made mistakes, but I am with you. Repent, turn to me, and I will be with you now down this more complicated road which you have cut out for yourselves. This path which you have taken, which isn't what I intended for you, but I will be with you on that more difficult path. I'm glad we have this example of God's intervention. It speaks to us, uh, but it never would have even been recorded if the Israelites had uh, done a better job of listening to the Lord in the first place. So there's grace at work. Maybe other things stood out to you, uh, but the, the main one, like I said, as we started, is I want to think about time. 
when I think about God and time and us and how those pieces play together, how it relates. And the best way to start is to, to stop thinking about this story and to just think about God himself and his nature. This is one of those moments where it can be a little bit of a, a popsicle headache. It can be a little bit of like when you watch a movie on time travel and it kind of like breaks your brain trying to think about how things fit together because I want to think about what we know of God. And this is the theology, the study of God and his nature as it relates to infinity. So think with me. Imagine with me. Stretch your mind with me to try to comprehend a little bit before we talk about this thing like that, that's called time as if we know what it means. And before we talk about God being outside of time as if we can even comprehend what that is, let's humble ourselves a little bit before the character and complexity of God and recognize that one of the key aspects of his nature as God is his infinity. I encourage you to look up some good scholarly, uh, reformed, biblical, exegetical works on the infinity of God to try to stretch your mind a little bit as to who he is, this God that we, we believe in. The more we know him, the more it'll change us, the more we'll worship him. And this is one of those ways. The infinity of God has been described to have three different realms that we can perceive it in. Uh, one is the realm of space. God is infinite in the realm of space. That means as far as places goes, as far as the universe goes, he is limitless. He has no beginning and no end. God is infinite in space. This is where we get the theological term transcendent. God transcends time, transcends space. Actually, that relates more to the infinity in time. Hold that thought, transcendent. Uh, we get omnipresence in terms of his infinity in relationship to the realm of space. There is nowhere that we can go, like scripture says, from the high, top of the highest mountain or the bottom of the depths of the sea before he's even born. God is everywhere. There is no limit to his presence. This means he was present before our creation of this planet, this universe, ourselves. He'll be present after and we with him. God is omnipresent because he is infinite in space. We don't have to worry about going someplace where God can't find us. He is there. And so this is reassurance. This is mind-boggling. This is not our experience. We're finite. We're in one place. We go to another place. That's not God's experience. He's infinite in space. But he is infinite in time as well. Time began at a certain point, but he had no beginning in time. God is infinite in the realm of time. There is no time where he is not present. He is currently before, during, and after all things. He's outside of time. This is the word transcendent. Now, he's also imminent. He comes to us. He meets us in moments, but he's not bound by those moments. He's not limited. We're, that's not our experience. <laughs> we are limited by the moments we live in and live through. And we, we want to know what comes next. That's not his experience. There's not a next experience with God because he's outside of that. He has no limits in relationship to time. He can't be early. He can't be late. He can't be sequential, even though he helps us sequentially because we are bound by time and he meets us in time. And that relates to the realm of space as well. It combines. These all converge. They're all part of his infinity in the realm of time, um, this is where we get his eternality. God is eternal. His infinity, infinity makes him eternal. 
we are created, but we have eternal souls that will then join him. So we have a beginning and we move on to eternity. God began and continues in eternity. He was and is and ever will be. But the third realm of being uh, has to do with character and nature. God is infinite in his being. He's infinite in his character. This means his goodness has no limits. His wisdom has no limits. He's infinite in being. Whereas we are finite. Our goodness has a threshold. Our patience certainly has a threshold. Our anger has thresholds. And we hit them. We cross them. We, we fall because of them. God does not experience that the way we do. He's infinitely wrathful over sin. And he's infinitely just and merciful. Infinite grace. Infinite gentleness. Infinite strength. He's without bounds in these things. So think about an infinite God. We're talking about time. This doesn't apply to him. You know, what would our experience be? Think about that just for a second. What would it be like if we experienced time the way he did? You know, would it mean we never worried about what was coming next because we would just know? Would it mean we never worry if we have enough time because we would just recognize, well, this is the amount of time that it's going to take to do X, Y, and Z? Would it give us a sense of stability? Would it give us a sense of peace? What do you, what do you think? And take that a step further. Are there any ways we can grow to become more like God? We're made in his image, so we're meant to reflect him. I think this is the most tangible and like exciting part of this concept because so much of that area of God, the infinity of God, is unknowable and unachievable for us. But what if we meant our lives to approximate some of that? What if we tried and sought and prayed to live with limitless goodness? What if we looked at our time as if it was a limitless resource because it's bound to a God that made it that is limitless so therefore it can be provided to us when we need it. It would change us. It would make us a more patient, a more at peace, a more anticipatory people. Like, oh, I wonder how God's going to work this out versus what if we run out of time? I think we should seek to be more like God in his infinity. Even though it's not possible... Any way that we could take a step in that direction would take us out of our humanity, out of our humanness, out of our fleshly limitations in ways that could stretch us to reflect him better to the world around us. So that as the people around us might see us running ragged and look at us and be like, ah, you're just like me. What if they saw some Christians say this Christmas season that aren't stressed or harried, aren't looking at time or resources as these finite things that have to get done by December 25th and what... I think we could reflect God more in these ways. I encourage you to think about how you might be able to do that. So if all this is true, we have to conclude that God made time. God made it. It is not part of him. So therefore, it is a created, designed, purposeful tool. And he made it for this universe. Made it for us. This is very much along the lines of the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath, a tool of worship and rest and being in God's presence and renewal, that's something for us to use. It's, it's a joy, it's not a burden. That's the way time is meant to be on a larger scale. We can learn a lot about time in our study of Sabbath. Uh, my wife is reading a book by Abraham Joshua Heschel called The Sabbath. And it talks about this relationship of the realm of time, realm of space. And it talks specifically about the Sabbath. But there's a lot that could be gleaned about time in general. So if you're looking for a great book to read, I highly recommend that one to you. 
But if God invented time, it has a purpose. And if he made it for us, then he certainly made enough of it for us. Because it would be a cruel God that would make less time than his people need. If he's inventing it in the first place for us, what kind of God would say, you need 30 hours in a day, I'm going to give you 24. It's going to hurt. <laughs> Good luck. No, he's giving us exactly what we need. It's made for us. It's custom made for us. So therefore, whenever our time is not enough, whenever our relationship to time is unhealthy, that's on us. That's a mismanagement of a beautiful thing that God has created for us. And we see this is the byproduct of our, our sin and of our, our limitations. We mismanage marriage and then we say, why is marriage so hard? And we mismanage our money and we say, why is there never enough? And we mismanage our time a lot. And we say there's never enough. I think there's plenty of time because God created it for us and he knew with all his limitless wisdom exactly what we need. And that's what he made. And that's what we have. Let's seek to have that relationship with time. So this brings us back to our passage. I think that we have more than the 24 hours, more than our calculated amount of time that we think we have. I think we have more of it than we, than we think because I believe that God is still in the business of making time for his people. God made time, he invented it. I think he still makes it for us. Each and every week, he makes time available that we didn't think would be available. He makes things we thought were gonna take 100 hours, take 10 hours, and he makes time available to us that we didn't think would be available in our human calculations. And as we look at this story, there were four ways that I saw that God created time for Joshua and the people of Israel. And they relate to me. I think they relate to us. Um, the first thing he did to make time is he caused delays on the part of the enemies of God. He delayed them. He said he threw them into confusion. Um, yeah, that's in verse 10. The Lord threw them, the enemies, into confusion before Israel. He delayed them. He, he, he messed things up for them so that as Israel was pursuing the way for God, it made extra time. What if the enemies of God had been preparing all night as Israel's marching to the battle? They would have been ready. They were not ready because God threw them into confusion. He created delays. Sometimes God puts delays in our lives to make more time. You know, we think we're running late to an event or an appointment and God causes a delay in the life of the other person. So we get there right on time. Sometimes he delays us because he's waiting for something to happen five minutes, five days down the road that we're impatient to get to. And if we're going our speed, our pace, we're going to be too early. And that's not his timing for that moment. So he causes a delay to make more time. God uses this. And sometimes we don't look at our situations as ways that God is making time for us. Maybe he's doing something in our life, a delay to make time for someone else. God did this with Christmas, right? He did this with uh, the incarnation. Uh, Peter writes that uh, God is not slow in keeping his promises. His timing isn't slow, as some people think. He's actually patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to eternal life. So God's delays are actually making time for salvations. And that happens in our lives too, but it's making time. We thought we had X time to get from A to B and to do X, Y, and Z, and no. No, God will delay things where he wants there to be a space of time to create it for whatever it may be. You may be waiting at a bus stop or whatever and the bus is late. God may be making time for you to talk to the person next to you. You may be trying to like go somewhere with your kids and you're caught in traffic. You may be making time for you not to be frustrated with the traffic, but to have a conversation with the child sitting next to you or your spouse. God makes times for us and sometimes our delays are actually divine time creators. Don't miss that. 
What else does he does for Joshua and the Israelites? He increases their strength. You recognize that when they heard about what God wanted them to do, they marched all night. So they'd been awake all that day, and then they marched all that night, and then they fought for a full day, but then Joshua prayed and God granted him another 24 hours of time, and they fought through that remainder of that day, and then the battle was over. But nowhere in it does it say they got tired. So if you had asked Joshua, how much energy will we need? How much sleep will we need to be rested, to be ready for this battle? He might have said, we need this much sleep and this much time to get from A to B and this much time. And it's not enough. But God said, there's plenty of time. And one way that I can give you time is I'm going to give you more energy. You don't even need the sleep you need. You don't even need the rest that you need. And that happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we have so much energy and our, our brains are clicking and our, our bodies are great and our, our minds are, are, are rested and we get four days worth of stuff done in one day. Well, God gave us increased strength, increased capacity to be able to tackle things. But that wasn't in our minds, perhaps, to start. So if we were doing the calculations, there's not enough time. And God said, what if I just make you a different sort of human operating in high gear for a time? Well, then there's plenty of time. And I need X amount of sleep. And that's good to have habits of sleep. We need rest. Our bodies do. But what if one day God just says, yeah, you're not going to need sleep today. And all night you're writing or you're, you're reading or you're just enjoying and there's just extra hours given to you and you're not tired the next day. God just increases strength. So he still makes time. It doesn't fit into our buckets, our categories, our calculations. But he increases our strength and makes things possible that would have been impossible without him restoring and renewing our strength. Um, another way in this event and in our lives is God reduces our challenges. Did you recognize as we read through it said God killed more of the enemy soldiers with hailstones than the Israelites did with swords? So if Joshua had been asked before the battle, how long is it going to take? He would have said, well, takes you know, 10,000 warriors and we can kill a warrior a minute, so 10,000 minutes and X amount of swords. But by the time he actually got to the battle, maybe there's only 2,000 warriors that needed to be killed because God had wiped out eight. You know, like God changed the calculation. And our concept of time is based on how much time we think something is going to take. You know, you can sit and, and, and rack your brain for a thought, an email you have to write, and it can take three hours to write an email to a boss, to a person, to respond, to make a request. Or you can sit down and in five minutes that same thing is done. Happens to me with sermons sometimes. A full week, and by Sunday, I'm still kind of like racking my brains. It's just a slow process. And other times, I sit down, and on Monday morning, it's like all the thoughts just come flooding out. So, how much time do I need to prepare a sermon? Mm. But I know there's plenty of time for what God knows He's calling me to do. And whether it's a six day ordeal or whether it's a five minute burst, He knows. And there's plenty of time for it. Because God reduces our challenges to create time for us. We, we think in big scope, like how am I going to create a discipleship plan for my family? How am I going to you know, raise my kids to know everything there is to know about the Lord and the Bible? And like, what if we have you know, family devotions every morning for an hour before school and we get up? And what if every Sunday we, do, we create these things because we view the concept of time as being so limited, so scarce, and the time we have with our kids... What if in one, you know, 20-minute conversation with our kids going to soccer practice or pick up from school, we end up having the conversation that really opens their eyes to the grace of God and the beauty of Him. And all of our planning for how long it would take really in the end, if we ask them 20 years from now, they'll look back and like, I don't really remember much, but I do remember this one conversation. I felt God present in my parent when they were talking. That meant something to me. And here down the line, I've seen how that's worked itself out in my life. 
How much time does it take to disciple someone? A minute or a thousand years? I think the answer is yes or neither or both or who knows. But there's plenty of time for what God is calling us to do. And God reduces challenges so that we have more time than we would think we would have. He still makes time for his people, for what he knows needs to be done. We need to have faith in that. And then the fourth thing that I saw in this event here is he stretched their resources. So in this, it's a resource of time. He actually made more time for the Israelites. Uh, he also did this for the prophet Elijah when he poured out the oil from the, the, um, the jars, but the oil just never ran out. Maybe you've experienced that. I know I have. You know, the money in the bank account should have run out, but it somehow just didn't. It's low, but it's not gone. Why? No mathematical figuring helps me know why that happened. And yet it happened. And this time, the time just kept going. And Joshua prayed for it, and God granted that prayer. And God got the glory for it. God fought for Israel that day. God provides for us. So sometimes God just expands our resources. And so again, he changes the calculation. We don't have enough time. It's a finite. Well, what if he just gives you more time? What if for you the day is longer? And what if it's actually longer? Not just metaphorically longer or like in your perception. God can do that. And he can do that with our time, with our money, with our efforts, with our service, with our worship. He can do that uh, because he's outside of it and he still makes time for his people. So let's bring this together and kind of tie some of these thoughts with, uh, I see things in this passage that there weren't time for it ever. Also, there, were, there are three exceptions that I think we should keep in mind, things that there are not time for. The first one is there isn't time to worry. We don't have time to waste on worrying. If Joshua had worried and not listened to God when he said, fear not, go, if he had worried, he wouldn't have been there at the right time to catch the enemy unsuspecting. The enemy did worry. They didn't have God. God threw them into confusion and worry, and it wasted the time they had to be prepared, and so they were caught unsuspecting. Joshua didn't have time to worry. He just had time to obey and to go. And in our lives, we don't have time to be anxious and to worry and to waste our time and our energy worrying about what might be or what. We just go. Where is God calling us? What are we supposed to do? Just do that. Worrying is exhausting too. So we, we use up our resources of energy, physical and emotional energy when we worry. So not only are we wasting time, we're wasting energy. Whereas God wants to increase our strength and increase our time, worry is the opposite of that. We need to have faith that when we get to said destination, that we would have followed God to that point and he'll be there and it'll work and the worry will waste time. Joshua didn't have time to worry and we don't either. Don't spend our time worrying about time. Another thing he didn't have time to do was to waste doing other things. We don't have time to waste. God gives us plenty of time for the things he's calling us to do. But if Joshua had said, you know what? I want to honor the Lord by having a ceremony. Let's observe the Passover. Even if it had been good things, that wasn't what he was called to do right then. He was called to go into battle, to march all night. It was just time to march. Get marching. And so he didn't waste it doing anything else. He just went. And sometimes we're wasting our time with other things, which can even be good. But they might not be the things God's actually calling us to do. If we look at our time, we don't see a lot of sinful, wicked things, things we shouldn't be doing, things that God, we've got to get. But it just all seems good. We must say, well, what are some of those things that God's not calling me to do? Well, then they may be good, but they're wasting the time that he's given me because he's given me plenty of time to do the things he's called me to do. i got to find out what those are because then they're guaranteed to have the time necessary. I'm not guaranteed to have time for a million other things. 
This is where discernment comes in. What things are people asking you to do? Which do you say yes to? Which do you say no to? Which things would you like to do? Or which things of those are things that God's saying, hey, go for it. Which things are saying not now? Or just no. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to worry. And uh, we didn't have time to wait for Joshua. He marched immediately. And a lot of times we want to continue to do our calculations to make sure it'll work. Our plans, our timing, our, our resources. God said, no, don't waste your time waiting. Don't spend time waiting for the perfect time. This kind of is that lazy relationship with time. We're going to wait for later. Wait for a better moment. Oh, the timing's not right. Oh, it's not right. Oh, this isn't the right time to have that conversation or to do that thing. Don't wait. I encourage you, just don't wait. Unless God says wait. If it's the time for waiting, then maybe that's the season you're in. But most of us feel like it's a time for doing. We just can't decide or know what to do. And so sometimes we're overwhelmed and it actually demotivates us and we do less. We don't have time to wait for another day. What if you don't have another day? What if I don't have another day? Today is the day God's given us and he's given us our daily bread's worth, one day's worth of time, and it is plenty of time as long as we don't waste it worrying, as long as we don't waste it doing other things, and as long as we don't wait. Oh, there's always tomorrow. Mm, Maybe, maybe not. We're called into these things, which brings us kind of to Christmas. And that's why I feel like this message is a great transition between um, the Joshua series and the Christmas. Like Christmas was the perfect timing. Jesus was not too early. He came at the fullness of time. He was not late when he came to that major incarnate in flesh for us. God's timing was perfect for the Jewish people, for all of people, for all time, for all nations. And so we enter into that. And God's timing with us is perfect as well. We may want God to do things sooner. I'm sure all the Jewish people for those hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah until Jesus came wish that God would come sooner. But his timing is right. His timing is perfect. It's God's timing. All we want is it to be God's timing. Not my timing, Lord. Your timing. And so the Christmas story is just another perfect example of God's perfect timing. And God will meet us in our lives in that same way. He will meet us in perfect timing, in perfect moments, at the right time. We need to trust him in that. So as we kind of take these thoughts and apply them to ourselves, let me just encourage you to truly believe there is plenty of time for you to spend time with people, the people that God wants you to spend time with. There's plenty of time for that. There's plenty of time to have people in your home. There's plenty of time to have social events and build relationships. There's plenty of time to spend with your children. There's plenty of time to spend with your spouse or your your fiancé, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends. There's plenty of time for spending time with the people that God's calling you to spend it with. There's plenty of uh, resource available to you. There's plenty of time to attend church on Sunday mornings. There's plenty of time to uh, pray to the Lord every day, to spend time in his word every day. There's plenty of time to get our work done, the things that need to be done. There's plenty of time to make progress in our homes or to repair something that needs to be fixed. Uh, There's plenty of time to respond to people in need. There's plenty of time to meet our neighbors who are unsaved and, and be with them in some capacity and show them God's love. There's plenty of time to go down to the center and work and scrape up some floors or paint some walls. There's plenty of time for that. The only question is, what parts of that is God calling us to do? And he will make time. He made time. He made it for us. It's a gift. And if we use it, if we follow him in it, 
instead of saying, oh, I don't have time for this. And so just neglecting all these things, saying, all right, Lord, in this day, what do I have time for? What will you make time for? And then pursuing him into those things uh, with faith. Like, oh, it's going to be exciting to see how God makes time for things. So I encourage us in our relationship with God and with time to seek uh, that it might be a healthy one this incarnation season, this Advent season. And I'll be praying for you to this end. Please pray for me to this end. Uh, May we recognize God's view of time and reflect him more and more every day in those ways. God bless.